Open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 19. Luke 19, verse 1. We're in a series on Engage Until He Comes as we prepare for the conference coming up. Luke 19, verse 1. This is the Word of God. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. As he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of this crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Enjoy me. The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray. Father, we're glad that we have your word. We need your Spirit's help to understand what you're saying to us in this familiar passage, uh, Father, and how to apply to the way we think and the way we live. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The invasion of Ukraine by Russia prompts me to change the sermon a little bit. Uh, Russia's military uh, invasion challenges the vision that many people have for this world. What do I mean by that? What do I mean by vision? It's just vision is seeing things how they ought to be in contrast to the way things are. Again, vision is seeing things as they ought to be in contrast to the way they are. Most people have a sort of vision of some kind that uh, includes peace in this world, peace between nations, uh, personal peace in our lives. Uh, that's how things should be, we think, but we know that's not how they are. Now, why is that? Well, people often underestimate sin. Uh, Because of sin, there are always going to be those who care nothing for peace, but rather care for something else, and that is power uh, over everything. It's safe to say that Vladimir Putin's vision uh, is different than ours. He has a vision for the restoration of the former Soviet Union with with him in his head, it's ahead of it. And it's a, a sin-saturated vision. And according to his vision, things in Ukraine are not as he thinks they should be, so he's being brutal and trying to bring about his vision. Uh, our prayers must continue to be for peace for the people of Ukraine, especially for our brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, for us as Christians, the idea of vision is slightly adjusted. Our thinking of vision goes this way. Vision is seeing things as God intends them to be in contrast to the way they are. Seeing things as God intends them to be. Um, Habakkuk tells us how God intends things to be. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Revelation tells us the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ. And He shall reign forever. Uh, We sang God's word earlier from Psalm 57. Let your glory be over all the earth. Uh, The challenge for us is for God's vision to become our vision, to connect our hearts with God's heart 
so that we have the same vision that God has, a heart for the nations like God's heart for the nations. Our vision is for people from every nation, men and women, boys and girls, to come to know Jesus as Savior and Lord. Uh, and as we're going to see, that's, that's Jesus' vision as well. So this is the first three messages about vision. Next Sunday, we're going to look at good news is for sharing. The Friday night of the conference, we'll ask the question, so what about Goliath's head? You can think about that one. Uh, today, we're going to watch how Jesus impacts Zacchaeus' vision and hopefully our vision. And from that sense of vision comes faith promise giving, both Zacchaeus's and ours. So to get started, let's, let's go to the text. We're going to begin with a curious story. Uh, it's a story that if you grew up in the church, you've heard all your life, you're very familiar with it. Uh, uh, and, uh, uh, and I could show you that. Zacchaeus was a... And uh, See, I told you. You, you know the story. And this thing keeps coming off, so it might come off whoever's back there working that. Okay. Uh, now, why do we call it curious? have a, a double meaning in mind. Uh, uh, one uh, is, is Zacchaeus is curious about Jesus. But second, he, he does a very curious thing, very strange thing. Um, here you have one of the richest men in the city of Jericho, uh, uh, which is situated on a, a major trade route. Uh, so that it pays well to be the tax collector here. Uh, he does two curious things. He starts running down the street, and he climbs a tree. Uh, he reverts to childhood behavior, and just go to this. Um, uh, first, I would just say children love the story simply because he climbs a tree and he runs. That's what, what kids do. So his motivation, why was this little man so desperate to see Jesus that he risked making him, uh, making him a fool out of himself by, by running and climbing this very leafy sycamore tree just to get a glimpse of Jesus? I mean, what did he hope to get out of it? What did he want to see accomplished here? Um, you know, was he, uh, was he just curious about this teacher of miracles? Um, or was it uh, the long time working on his conscience? Uh, maybe tiring of exploiting people, uh, tired of being outcast, uh, a dim hope of something better. Yes, he'd heard that Jesus welcomes tax collectors. Um, he'd heard about change in tax collectors. Um, and, uh, or is it just simply the nameless, deep, irresistible, inward calling of the Holy Spirit? Or maybe a combination of the above? Well, it's just probably a combination of the above. That seems to be the case. It is at least the initiative of God's grace that calls restless sinners to Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus seems like such an unlikely gospel candidate. But friends, that's the attraction of grace. Now, what's that tell us? Now, God doesn't put signs on people as we go about our lives saying, here's a good candidate for the gospel, and we'll skip this one. Uh, we cannot see who's thinking about Jesus. Uh, we cannot see who's weary of this world, who's climbing into trees to get a, just a glimpse, a glimpse of Jesus. 
who's perhaps thinking about judgment, thinking about death. Uh, Richard Phillips suggests this, and he's right. Zacchaeus represents a group of people who are thinking far more seriously and far more often about Jesus, about spiritual concerns, than we will ever know from our own meager human observations. So what draws him to climb this tree? I think Jesus tells us in John 6, 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We call this effectual calling. Because of sin, uh, we're spiritually dead. Dead people can do nothing. Dead people want to do nothing. But here's our confidence as we share the gospel of Christ. Uh, and as we do mission work around the world, the Father's always drawing people to Jesus, even when we do not see it happening. Uh, nobody, nobody expects Zacchaeus to be drawn to Jesus, but he is. And as Jesus explained to Nicodemus in John 3, the wind blows where it wants. We can hear the sound of it, uh, but we cannot see it, where it comes from, where it's going. So does everyone born of the Spirit. Everyone who comes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. Imagine Zacchaeus himself would have been hard-pressed to tell you what, what, what was going on in his heart and mind that made him run and climb a tree. The reality is it's God himself who calls Zacchaeus to that tree. Not out of mere curiosity, but by grace. So what did the world see? What did Jesus see? When Zacchaeus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Again, the truth is, you and I wouldn't have targeted Zacchaeus for salvation. Either we would have thought he's too evil or he's too rich. But incredibly, Jesus does. He stops right in front of the tree. People don't know why. But then Jesus looks up. And when he looks up, everybody else's eyes follows his, and they look up with him. And undoubtedly, there sits Zacchaeus, and he had to feel the weight of all those eyes that were looking at him. And imagine, first people are stunned to see this, uh, this, uh, this powerful man sitting in a tree. And then you got to know some snickers broke out, uh, not the candy bar, all right? Uh, some chuckles, uh, and uh, at the thought of this wealthy trader... Sit up in a tree. This little man hiding among the leaves. People begin to whisper, that's the tiny little tyrant trader, tax collector. And then Jesus reveals his hand. He calls Zacchaeus by name. Jesus knows his name. And then comes those words in the song we always speak, what? Zacchaeus, you come down, for I'm going to your house today. Now, for some, this borders on the scandalous. Jesus invites himself to the home of a notorious sinner who, in the eyes of his townspeople, has no chance of heaven. And in the eyes of Jesus' followers, is not fit for heaven because of his riches. I mean, surely he's just as attached to his stuff as that rich young ruler was. So what's going to happen? I mean, everybody fixes their eyes on Zacchaeus. A strong-willed, defiant sinner who has never really cared about Jesus or God or, or, or his countrymen in the past. I mean, is he going to laugh at what Jesus said? Is he going to be too embarrassed to come down? 
How is he going to respond as grace pursues him? Verse 6, so he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. Zacchaeus stuns everybody. He comes down from the tree. And so we get two clues right off that Zacchaeus is converted. All right. And that is his obedience to Jesus and his joy. Grace fueled obedience and joy are distinctive marks of the followers of Christ. And it's joy like Zacchaeus has never had before. So it's a marvelous picture for us of the effectual call working out in someone's life. That God takes the initiative and God pursues them. And God reaches out to a rebellious, self-absorbed, self-important sinner. And calls that sinner to come to himself. And so everybody's happy, right? Got a new member of the kingdom. Verse 7 tells us of the sullen reaction of the people. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. That tells us people really still did not understand what Jesus is all about. And they especially did not understand their own sinfulness. As we suggested before, if we look down at someone and and think they are so bad that they could not possibly become a Christian, then why do we think God chose us? What makes us think we're so good that God chose us? Please understand, because of, of sin's grip and domination in my life and in your life, we are just as unlikely candidates for the gospel as Zacchaeus. Let's not flatter ourselves that God called me and that God called you. It's just as unlikely as God calling Zacchaeus or Vladimir Putin. It all comes back to grace. So Zacchaeus responds to the world's southern reaction, even their anger that we'll see in the parable that follows, by making two declarations that show Zacchaeus has really experienced grace. He demonstrates that his faith, his faith with repentance, a changed heart. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. In the face of people criticizing Jesus, Zacchaeus speaks up to defend Jesus' name by demonstrating changed behavior that reflects the triumph of grace. How is that? We immediately announce he's giving away half of what he has. And then he makes another stunning announcement. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, the law required a 20% restoration rate. All right? Zacchaeus is giving 400%. He demonstrates the radical change in his life by moving from exploiting the poor to providing for the poor. When we enter into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ... It changes us. It always does. It changes the way we view people. It changes the way we view our possessions. Grace and repentance bring a complete reversal. Previously, he had no concern for people. He exploited the poor. Uh, he defrauded people. But now he wants to reverse that by giving generously to the poor. Giving back to those he has defrauded. Let me just say, by the way, if you do a math problem here... He could only maximize uh, 10% of his gifts. The money came from the wrong sources, but you can do the algebra later. All right. Uh, So what does Jesus say? Jesus said to him, today, salvation has come to this house since he's also a son of Abraham. 
for years an outcast, a traitor, and now a true son of Abraham. Uh, because he shares with Abraham the reality that he believes he trusts the word of Jesus. It's incredible. It's a declaration of the power of grace. And then we have this rather well-known statement of Jesus' mission. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus has come seeking us, reaching out to save us. How does it happen? First thing we've got to acknowledge that we're lost. Until and admit we, 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 that, there's no hope for salvation. Uh, the great obstacle in our postmodern world to the gospel is admitting we're lost. We're sinners. People do everything possible to, to minimize, to excuse or overlook sin. We have to realize I need grace. I need God's favor because on my own, I cannot be good enough for heaven because I am a sinner. God stirred Zacchaeus' heart to seek Jesus. He realized his lostness, his hopelessness, his purposelessness, his emptiness as he hides in that tree. And so Jesus seeks him out and he responds. That's grace at work. God takes the initiative. God pursues. God always pursues us. Jesus' mission statement as he seeks and saves the lost is rooted in his vision for the world. Remember what we said vision is, the ability to see the world as God intends it to be instead of the way things are. Jesus' vision is rooted in his belief that, uh, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. His vision results in his doing God's will to bring glory to God by doing the work God gave him to do. Jesus sees the world as God intends it to be, full of the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. His mission is to make that vision a reality. Hence, he came to seek and save the lost. Now, that was not the typical Jewish vision. We know the disciples were still holding to a vision of a restored earthly kingdom that overthrew the Romans. So here's where we need to see that that Zacchaeus' heart becomes aligned with Jesus' heart. Zacchaeus promises to give this money uh, above, over and above what's required to draw attention to Jesus, to point people to Jesus, that Jesus had changed his life, had saved him, and hence he can save others. Zacchaeus draws attention to Jesus as he's on his journey to the cross to seek and save the lost through his financial giving, through how he uses his resources. So let's draw the comparison then to, between Zacchaeus' giving and what we call faith promise giving. Now what is faith promise giving? It's a means that we use here at CMPC to support missionaries who go across culture with the gospel, as well as church planters and campus workers here in this country. Faith promise given is investing our resources uh, in the proclamation of the kingdom of God to seek and save the lost. Yes, faith promise given is above and beyond our regular giving and beyond our tithes. Uh, it's trusting God to enable us to give beyond our means towards missions. 
The key verse for our conference this year is engage until he comes. It comes from the parable that Jesus told the crowd that day at Zacchaeus' house. There's a lot going on, and you're going to have to read it and apply it for yourself later. Uh, But let me just highlight it. Jesus says he tells it for clarity. Because they're expecting their visions of the kingdom of God to come right now with the restoration of the nation of Israel. Um, Jerusalem is the capital. They expect Jesus to do it immediately, some of them. The main point Jesus makes is it's not going to be immediate. There's going to be a time delay. uh, An indefinite period of time until the kingdom comes in its fullness. A time in the clock storing spent at least 2,000 years. Second, you can also pick up on the hostility towards Jesus and the mission will continue. As we're seeing in our series on Revelation, persecution of the church will continue until Jesus comes again. And third, this is where our focus is today. Followers of Jesus are entrusted with the Father's resources and are expected to engage in business until the king returns. The king's got high expectations of us. He's entrusted us with treasure. All the money we have comes from him. And it's not to make us comfortable, uh, but to bring God glory. Jesus already taught us something quite significant in Luke's gospel. Where our treasure is, there will our hearts be also. And I've told you before, I, I used to have this backwards. I used to think that to get people on board with the Great Commission, I could just give a strong biblical case for missions. Or I thought, if I can get people to start praying for missions, well, then they'll want to give towards mission, uh, towards it. But the more I reflect on what Jesus said, I, I realized I had it backwards. If I can encourage someone to give towards missions, then their heart will follow towards that. They'll want to pray. They'll want to find out more biblically about what the Great Commission is. But it starts with giving. Because wherever our treasure is, that's where our heart will follow. That's why I urge people who are part of the CMPC family to make what we call a faith promise investment. I use the word investment very intentionally. Um, uh, we make investments in savings accounts, uh, in college fund accounts, uh, retirement, and we fully expect to reap the fruit of those investments in this world, in this life. But investing in missions is a, is a, um, a matter of eternity. So in faith promise giving, we're seeking to give money that's beyond our ability to give. We're exercising faith. We're strengthening that faith. As a church, we're praying for at least $350,000. You say, well, where's the money come from? And there are really three sources if you narrow it down. One is sacrifice. Lowering our lifestyle. Choosing to invest our money in missions rather than ourselves and our pleasures. Sometimes it's unexpected sources. Maybe an inheritance or a a tax refund, an insurance claim, a bonus at work. Or it might come from some special project, some special task we do. A child or teenager might want to do some extra chores for somebody. Or you can talk to Bob and Bev Bradbury about how they use the honey business to produce resources for the kingdom of God. Our investment in faith promise giving, no matter how small or large, from the heart, it will multiply in its effectiveness. Giving always changes the giver. Giving changes lives by bringing dead people to life. By God using the gospel message brought by missionaries we've helped send. Changing the eternity of someone who now sees the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Because they heard the gospel in part, at least through the gifts of the people here. C.S. Lewis is right. 
the glory of God and as our only means of glorifying him, the salvation of human souls is the real business of life. So let's get down to business. So pray about our 2022 faith promise. What God would have us promise, how God would provide, and how he use our collective giving that many around the world will come to Jesus. And we, don't, we, we cannot lose our sense of the need to evangelize in this community and around the world. Friends, the sad and sudden reality is that anybody who's not a believer will spend eternity in hell. So our faith promise giving, and really all our giving, is to be cross-eyed giving. Looking at giving through the cross. If indeed Jesus' death on the cross uh, is the very definition of love, of what the ultimate gift is, then our response should be a costly sacrificial gift so that others hear about Jesus in Chestnut Mountain and around the world. And with faith promise giving, I can give you all the stats. I suggest you aim to give a certain percentage. Or I can tell you, if you've never given a faith promise, start someplace, $10 a month, $25, $100 a month. But it's really not going to be the amount. It's the heart. So we will receive faith promise cards on March 20th. We'll turn them in on thir- rather 13th. We'll turn them in on the 20th. Over the next four weeks, be thinking about it. But start by thinking about his gift, his reaching out to Zacchaeus, his death on the cross. So our hearts begin saturated with his love, with a passion that others will come to know the love of Jesus. Then pray about it so that others will hear the good news. The Holy Spirit will guide you and help you with this. So let me just mention the impact of giving. You know, any investment of the kingdom of God always brings glory to God. And no, we probably will not ever benefit in this world dollar-wise. Um, and our faith promise gift might not yield any dividends until years down the road. But ultimately, money given to missions has the potential to impact thousands, millions, billions of people across the generations as God writes his story. Well, not necessarily in this life the results of what God uh, does to the missionaries we support. But remember, we're not interested in investing in this world. But through faith promise giving, we invest in eternity. So what about us? You know, maybe like Zacchaeus, you're here today just checking things out. You're not yet a believer. Let me urge you to talk with me afterwards or someone else that you know knows about Jesus. Now you can know him in a life-changing way as Zacchaeus came to know him. Remember, nobody in Jericho thought Zacchaeus would be getting into the kingdom of God. Nobody. Not even Zacchaeus kidded himself about that. He was so lost. But Jesus saw him. Jesus sought him. Jesus saved him. And he'll do the same for you. Friends, Jesus sees the world different than we do. And we've got to align our hearts, our vision, with his heart, his vision. Without a vision of how God's going to intend things to be, there's really little incentive to give a faith promise, let alone to pray or go. Uh, But we're going to be, friends, held accountable for how we use our resources. We will. And unless people again hear the gospel, they're eternally lost. The Vladimir Putins of this world need to hear the gospel. What's happening in Ukraine today should drive us towards the Great Commission. 
So the reward for investment, two things closing here. One is that uh, the reward that King Jesus will give uh, for how we use our God-given resources. That's only going to come when he returns. Uh, and you read the parable to see that. But the second is, and more profoundly, is when we're gathered around the throne of God one day. And we look and, and we see people there from every tribe and language and people and nation on the face of the earth. And then someone whispers, see that woman? Darling Johnson, letter to Christ in Japan. See that man? Gary Elliott led him in a Roma village in Bulgaria to Christ. See that family? Brian and Megan reached them in Germany with the gospel. See that family? Nathan and Kasia reached them in Poland with the gospel. See that Italian man? A seed that Linda Summer planted when he was just a small child. Gave fruit, bore fruit, and grew. One day we will get to hear the stories. All their stories. What a day that will be. So friends, let's align our vision with God's vision. Our hearts with God's heart. And then give, and then pray, and then go. So that Jesus Christ is praised. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel of Jesus Christ that saved Zacchaeus, that saved us. And Father, we pray uh, that we would see the world as you intend it to be, uh, filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And then, Father, seeing how you intended it to be, we would embrace the vision of Jesus, the mission of Jesus, to seek and save the lost. Father, there's anybody here that 